Welcome to Dragon Talk, everyone. Yay! Woo! Very excited for today on the official Dungeons and Dragons podcast with me, Greg Tito, and my lovely co-host, Shelly Noble. Yeah, hi. I never know if I'm. Am I going to say my name? Are you going to say my name? You know, after you know, seventeen years of doing this, we'd figured I, out how to do it. But I mean, I don't want to be presumptuous when you said "lovely co-host." I'm like, does he mean me? Is he talking about me? <laughs> is he talking about Ryan? Is he talking about Lisa? Ryan is very lovely. It's, very, it's very true. Yeah. Lovely, lovely. Um, but we are talking in this interview to James Intracasso, Yay! a wonderful part of the Dungeons and Dragons community, and a editor-in-chief uh, for Arcadia, uh, lead designer at MCDM, Matt Colville's whole outfit uh, there doing the Strongholds and Followers and Kingdoms and Warfare books that you may have uh, seen climbing up the Kickstarter charts the last few years. <laughs> um, yeah, really great fun stuff uh, with James, and uh, I can't wait to share it all with you. Yes, and just an overall really great person right. and just a, a wonderful a pillar of the community. I just feel like James has just, he's just always here. Always been, been doing here, it. Always he's creating it. great work and just being a good person. So Yeah. And I actually thought we'd had him on the podcast before for an interview. I had no it's, idea. Yeah. This was his debut and he did fantastic. He has, he has been on how to be a DM with me. Right. Yeah. But, uh, you know, that's kind of like, like the audition, you know, before <laughs> Exactly. You go on to the interview. That's not true at all. Um, in fact, it, it often goes the other way around. It's when true. we realize, oh, you have such great advice. Let's get you to come back. So Yeah. And hopefully one of them will finally be able to convince you to Dungeon Master. Oh, so let's talk about that for a minute. Okay. So today sure. I was in a meeting and we were talking about tools to help new Dungeon Masters and like what kinds of additional assistance DMs might need and all that. And I started rattling off things that I didn't realize I knew about mm. being a dungeon master. Oh. So, like, all the things that I don't want to do as a dungeon master because I feel like it's too hard, like a like a skill check, say. Um, yeah. I was actually, like, explaining, like, oh, no, the skill check is, like, when you do this and this and that. And, and I was, like, all of a sudden, like, the math, you know, like imagine like a character sheet that's just like blurry, out of focus, like woo, like all the numbers are just blending into one and you have no idea what you're looking at. It was like zoop, everything came into focus and I was like, oh my God, I get it. I know why that's a bonus and how it's tied to this and why you're this and why. And But I was like explaining it to someone else. See, you have over the years just through osmosis uh, and and asking questions and getting responses have just internalized all that. And that's all Dungeon Master, you know, is, is taking the stuff. Usually it's by being a player for a while, you start to realize how the inner workings of it is. It's like, oh, yeah, I can do that. And I can just improvise if I don't know or lean on my players if I if I if I have any questions and. Look, you're getting those skills just I, by, by interviewing yes. those people. It's like it's like it was in me all along. But it was <laughs> let me say it. But it's it's also like I'm like, oh, okay. So like the technically like rulesy bits, I I'm actually not as dumb as I thought. Like I actually do know some of that. And then when I think about the other scary bits, like the player's not doing what you thought, or you're not prepared for this part of the world that they ventured into. Then I do call upon all of the advice from the people I've talked to that are just like, 
So then just move the part that you did have prepared to this section. Right. Or lure that, them back the over one, here. That's the one piece you always go back to. It's like, oh, I could just have done that. And that would have changed the uh, the inciting incident of you not wanting to DM yes. uh, from, from the get-go. So, I yeah, think of it all the, the time. You know, like, well, what if they've missed a really important clue? And then I have had great advice where people were like, so introduce them to an NPC that gives them that information. <laughs> or like, yeah. oh, you have found a, a, a bulletin on a tree. Read this. This is your clue. You know, there's so many ways. You just you just don't have to overthink it like I did. Yeah, right. Exactly. Give them the tools. Uh, and it's, it's advice that I need, uh, too. Like, I, I sometimes am like, why are they not doing? It's all very clear. But obviously, it's not clear uh, because it's... Um, you know, sometimes just needs that push from yeah. from the storyteller. So it's common sense. Like I think we get bogged down in like rules, 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 rules. But really, a lot of it is like it's just common sense. Just yeah. what would you do in real life if you needed somebody to get information? <laughs> exactly. Tell, you tell them. them. You just tell them. <laughs> <laughs> you it. can invent anything. It's your world, dungeon masters. A little you know fairy dragon flies in and tells you you know. Yeah. Your mom is over there. Go get and her. How cool would that be? All right. I just made that up. I don't know about no fairy dragons. I don't even know what their stats are. I'm going to go search for them. And then if they fight the fairy dragon, I know how to deal with that then too. Well, nobody should fight a fairy dragon. They're too cool to, to fight, honestly. You should get them all on your side is what I say. But if you did want to know about fairy dragons and stats for like their moms or dads that are probably going to come out and get you, you could get Fizbin's Treasury of Dragons. Whoa! I segued. Woo! That was like a, a me style segue. It was so it. you. See, it is in me all along. <laughs> I am learning. <laughs> I am learning. I am so excited for Fizzband's uh, Treasury of Dragons to be out in the wild. October twenty sixth is the new release date. Two covers, amazing stuff from James Wyatt, lead designer, and all of the contributors and the artwork uh, alone in there. The maps. Um, from Dyson Logos uh, for all oh, of yeah. the different types of dragon layers. I mean, it's basically just like a menu of adventures that you can uh, just pick and choose. And all of a sudden, you've got a, an epic encounter with any type of dragon that you could want. A gem dragon, a, uh, a metallic dragon who's good, who may offer you some of those clues that you were just talking about. Maybe. Uh, or, uh, you know, one of the bag bad Chromatic dragons or a Tiamat. Let's just throw Tiamat at him. Who knows? I um, mean, it's all you would, there. I think, as a dungeon master. <laughs> <Yeah>. Why not? <laughs> just kill them all. Why not? I did. I have thrown a few pretty high level uh, dragons that they're too scared to fight uh, right now. Uh, but we'll see. We'll see what happens. They're going to level up and 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 make it all happen. Uh, and there's all that wonderful information in Fizzband. So I hope yeah. you all check it out. Um, I know people are playing through Wild Beyond the Witchlight right now. It is uh, also where you can. Get some fairy dragon uh, stuff going on yep. in the Feywild, finding out everything that you've lost, you know, that Ugh. sock that, you know, you really love, but you can't find the match of. And you won't throw there. it away because you still hold out faith that the mate will come home. Yeah. It but will. that mate, unfortunately, is in the Feywild and you have Not to go there to find it. Yeah. It could, you know, could be Fortunately, fortunate. it is in the Feywild for I, adventure. I do believe that the wild beyond the witchlight is the adventure we need right now. It's just it's really what the world needs. Just what the world needs. Get in to the Feywild. Just go. That's it. That should what have been the tagline. Just like, 
Let's get Feywild. I work in, in marketing. Oh, I let, <laughs> you made it even better, though. <laughs> Born Let's, to be Feywild. Why didn't we do any of this? Man. I don't know. Take a walk on, on the, the Feywild side. <laughs> 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 and everybody sing do, 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 do. Okay. Do, do, it's do, not do. too late, is it? Yeah. All right. Well, back I'm adding. To, back to the well with that one. I'm adding. There's a theater in. Uh, in the Wild Beyond the Witchlight. So clearly, these are some of the performances that are going on in that theater. That's exactly what's happening. And in, yeah. in the theater in the Feywild, you and I are doing like some really good spoken word, <laughs> <laughs> some poetry slams. You are acting. I am uh, doing some. You're hand, dancing. Dancing. Yeah. I'm now that we know, dancer. you've got the moves. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Uh, all right. Well, those are some of the fun things coming out from the Dungeons and Dragons team. There is, of course, a couple of other fun things that we just announced, such as Critical Role Call of the Nether Deep. Yes. Well, Our that's next a fun one. collaboration with everyone on the Critical Role side, uh, including Matt Mercer, James Hake, uh, and Chris Perkins, all teaming up in a Cerberus of lead design that will terrify you uh, with some really fun stuff. Yes, uh, that's an excellent description. Terrifyingly yeah. fun. Terrifyingly fun. Um, yeah, it does sound rather terrifying, but also pretty amazing. And really, is there a better team of people to be working on a book together than Matt Mercer, James Hake, and Chris Perkins? Dream team. Keeping the dream alive. Dream team. A trifecta of yeah. Awesome. Good stuff. Um, so not a tons of details on what is there. It is coming out in March 2022. Uh, we'll get lots more details uh, as we near that date, but wanted to make sure all of you out there uh, were aware, all of you Dungeons and Dragons fans, you, you don't necessarily have to be a critical role fan to get something out of this book because there is so much uh, Storytelling information, uh, information on uh, rival player, uh, rival parties, ways that you can introduce those into your campaign, uh, and like all of our books that are setting, you know, you could pull it all apart and uh, introduce it into your homebrew very easily. Uh, and so, hopefully, people approach it like a menu, uh, like Fizzband's Treasury of Dragons is, uh, yes. and and mine it for ideas to turn your storytelling up a notch. Yes, do it. Do it, I say. You will be thrilled. And then our final big release for this year in 2021 is Strixhaven, A Curriculum of Chaos. I totally pronounced that correctly. Curriculum. Uh, Curriculum. (laughs) I am going to get some demerits from my professors at Strixhaven uh, for that. But tons of fun stuff in there that is also full of things that you can pick apart and mine for the magical academy that's in your world. Um, but there's also a wonderful story set in Strixhaven that is uh, split up into four parts for the four years of schooling that you uh, or your party could be uh, encountering on this this plane of existence in the magic universe. It's going to be fun. I'm going to play a character who has a job. You I need think a job. That would be fun. I think, and, you know, with all the things you're doing, you need like a third job or a fourth job. And like, an, you know, really like... Does the fantasy me need a job? Mm, maybe the fantasy me is just going to be a student and do some extracurricular activities. Mm-hmm. Like oh. going on a date or oh, going I don't to prom. I think even the fantasy me would do that. I don't think I'd know how to role play that, to be honest. <laughs> I don't think I do either. Oh, That's what's date? so funny. I mean, maybe 
some people can relate to this. I've just been married to my wife forever and we never really <laughs> dated. And I don't think I've ever gone on like a date where I don't know the person and we're going out to dinner and we're getting to know you chit chat stuff. I, I see that all the time. It's in all the reality shows and things that she watches. And I'm like, I just, I don't have this experience, but I can now in Strixhaven, a curriculum of chaos. And thankfully there's rules for it. Because in yeah. real life, like, where <laughs> were those rules when I was dating? I like, couldn't I, someone just tell me what to do? Just who do I give the rose to? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Why is this producer telling me to keep this person I clearly hate? <laughs> Ouch. I don't understand. Rose has lots of thorns on it. I, I don't understand a, dating. I took D6 of blood damage. Stabbing, <laughs> piercing damage. That's how it's Ooh, said, not blood damage. Kind of, hmm. <laughs> yeah. More reality TV shows in D&D. I think it can happen. Yeah. And uh, Strixhaven c- could could work. Maybe wow. it'll be a, a squid game that happens in Strixhaven. <laughs> I don't think we're going to do that, Greg. <laughs> Mind flayers, they attack and uh, set up a whole new system. We'll talk more about all of those fun things. Uh, but right now, I think we need to go to a wonderful new segment. Yeah. Uh, I can't wait. Debut. Meet your monsters. Uh, with uh, one of the fun designers that is relatively new to the D&D team, Mackenzie DeArmas. Can't wait to talk about some fun monsters and let you meet them. And we'll be back with our interview with James and Tricasso. Okay. Welcome to a new segment of Dragon Talk called Meet Your Monster. I am Greg Tito, and I got two people here with me who are going to talk about this monster. We got Shelly Mazanoble and Mackenzie mm. DeArmas. Welcome. Yay. Thank you so much for having me. We uh, This is a new segment, so we'll talk a little bit more about what this is. This is about diving into a specific monster or monster type in 5th edition Dungeons & Dragons and basically have a love fest for this monster and give hopefully some tips and tricks for those of you uh, running this monster and encountering it in the wild, or in this case, the Feywild. The Feywild. Uh, Because today we are going to talk about displacer beasts. And Mackenzie, you have said you have a special place in your heart for these wonderful monsters. Oh, I love these kitties. They're so much fun. Um... I've always sort of been like super fascinated with like the ideas of optical illusions and sort of how light affects or how your brain processes what you see. Uh, Mostly because I've had really terrible eyesight since I was like in first grade. So it's just been a thing that I've dealt with and it has been super interesting for me to figure out why my eyes process things the way that they do Mm. so wrongly. And so being able to use some of that knowledge I've picked up over my lived experience to, uh, when it comes to like mirages and and like the displacer beasts and how it plays with light and how it makes that displacing effect is super cool. I think displacer beasts are one of those interesting monsters that like when you encounter them in combat, they have such a dynamic feel to them because of that displacing effect that it's it adds this level of challenge that isn't just they hit really hard, which is something that I think a lot of combat sometimes falls into mm. yeah for sure and are you a cat person <laughs> um i am a pet person in general i never got to have pets as a kid i had a goldfish but it drowned itself so, what <laughs> yeah 
I don't know how it happened, but somehow I managed to get my pet goldfish to dr- like it, it drowned itself. I found it. It yeah. No, Outside I don't know its how bowl? or why. Oh, no, sorry. inside its bowl. I oh. I don't know how it happened, but that's my. I like fictional pets, and that's why I have a bunch of stuffed animals. Because hey, hey, I've never had a real pet, and I love. Aww. I love my uh, I love my fictional animals. Uh, my 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 spooky kitty. Yeah, Aww. yeah. Well, I mean, I I love the the cat imagery around the displacer bees because you know there's something about big cats, right? That that like uh, panther or or lion that is you know terrifying because of their their quickness and agility. And the displacer beast is a a challenge three uh, creature, so it's something that you could encounter fairly early in your D and D career. Um, and I love uh, their the kind of fey connection, and they're like yeah. you were saying, like the way that they're phasing uh, and and mm-hmm. and can be displaced. I th- I think it's super cool to note that like the um oh what is the actual the displacement trait that they have isn't actually dependent solely on sight. Mm. The displacement trait still functions against creatures who like have blind sight or who are blinded. You can still or who have blind sight or tremor sense or any other senses. The displacement feat displacement trait still functions, and I think it's so cool to be able to imagine because they're so fey. Uh, because in the Feywild, there are things that aren't what they seem and things sort of take on that life of their own. And that idea of like the light humming around this displacer beast because it's being supernaturally displaced and like playing around different senses of like you can smell like when, you know, when lightning strikes, it has that tinge of ozone. There's just that sort of s- sour smell in the air where you can feel like something's being wrong or like with certain other types of scientifically with certain other types of light or uh, waves of light wavelengths, you can actually like feel it in the air, like with, you know, x-rays and stuff and yeah. being able to also play that into that sense of displacement when you're fight- fighting these supernatural fey creatures and really leaning into that heavy sort of the Feywild messes with your senses. This is messing with your senses, not just in a sight way, but in a, in every sense you possibly could way. So if we were to encounter a displacer beast, is, mm-hmm. is it safe to just assume that it's not where we think it is? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> I always picture when you encounter a displacer beast, it's always like if you're looking if you're looking at a bright light for a while and you look away, you still see that bright light. Uh-huh. Uh, mm. That's how I imagine when you encounter a displacer beast, you're actually seeing where the displacer beast was like 10 seconds ago. As in you're just seeing the after oh, image wild. of the displacer beast uh, who has already moved on. And so if you were to make an, an attack, if you didn't know, you were just, oh, there's a displacer beast and you just come at it yeah. with a sword, like it would just go right through the air? Mechanically, you didn't make the attack a disadvantage, but from like, I think if I was like introducing it uh, before it got into like actual combat and the, the nitty gritty mechanics and the stat block came into play, I definitely would love to surprise a player with they shoot an arrow at it and it just <laughs> goes right through. Yes. And then, like the image just sort of fades, like um, like you know those mirages in a desert, and then you just see another it pop up sixty feet away, just sort of in the dark with the eyes glowing, and then you try shooting at it again, and that it just goes right through, really mm. like amping up attention, especially if there are multiple displacer beasts, and you oh, just see a yeah. bunch of them popping up, like you're in the middle of a kaleidoscope, but you can't hit any of them until they actually jump in and start engaging you directly. 
I love that detail that they that they sometimes fight in in groups called prides. Yeah. Uh, oh yeah, I was going to ask that. Are they in? Yep. They they travel in prides like a yeah. like big cats. Okay. Yeah, they. Uh, I think they're smaller. They're s- smaller little packs. Uh, I think the wild wild displacer beasts have small to medium sized packs. But uh, I think a lot of displacer beasts actually uh, are frequently used as like pets or guard animals, uh, especially with how they are in the Feywild and the the fairies who, you know, like that sort of thing. They like the weird and they like being like, this is my this is my hunting animal. Yeah, it's got six legs and two tentacles and it's not where you think it is. And (laughs) it's my cat. It's a good boy. <laughs> yeah, right? It's that kind of ultimate warlord type of thing. We're like, yep. well, you know, I might have a uh, a lion as a pet or a, or, or something, you know, that's, that's terrifying. Well, look, I've got this amazing uh, creature. I'm making the I petting just, motion am, with my hands. Yeah, I was like, I feel like, I'm imagining, you know, like the, the James Bond turn around in yes. the chair and you just turn around and someone's holding Displacer Beast Kitty and just like stroking it. Aww. You don't know if the Displacer Beast Kitty is actually in their arms, but you know what? It looks like it and it does the effect. <laughs> it's so oh, great. Yeah, that's true. Uh, the six legs kind of surprised me. Um, is that really necessary? <laughs> <laughs> Is it not necessary, though? <laughs> it seems a little extra. I don't know. Do we really need six legs? Well, that's what makes them go faster. They can go crazy. Uh, 40 feet in a, in a turn, right? Their movement speed's uh, a little bit faster, so that means that they can get to you and kill you even faster. It could be clumsier. could be more legs to stumble over. I, I, I always picture it as the same, the same variance that happens in real life cats when it's some are really agile and some are just not really graceful. Uh, and that's how I imagine displacer beasts. Some of them are like really good at like running really fast uh, and doing those pouncing motions and being able to, you know, maybe even like rear up on its back four and then use its front paws to like climb and stuff. Uh, and then I just also imagine some that trip over their middle legs all the time or get tangled in their own tentacles <laughs> they're, as they're sort of running around and chasing after fey balls of yarn. Yeah, well, they're, um, the tentacles are kind of like built-in cat toys. They can just kind of bat Yeah, them I can imagine and... like uh, this baby displacer kitties just like getting distracted by their own tentacles and yeah. doing like the chasing the tail, but their own, it's it's just the, it's just the little tentacle pads. Yep. Depends on how much catnip is involved. Um, oh my god! I don't fake fake catnip sounds like a very dangerous thing. <laughs> it really does. But now I want to explore that uh, mm. even more so. And I always imagine. I mean, you should, when a cat attacks uh, in our world, it does have that little like batting uh, uh, thing that his paws can do, right? Yep. And I always assumed the way the tentacles work with the way the art is uh, in the fifth edition monster manual that they're just like additional. Pause that would when yeah. they when they go after them it's almost like they're they're batting with 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 eight uh, appendages rather than just the two or four yeah. that might happen in our world right is that how you imagine yeah. it yeah I mean the the interesting thing with the Splicer Beast is that the the stat block doesn't have any attacks for its for its paws so it only attacks with its tentacles uh, so I imagine like the paws are more like movement based so it like pushes things out of the way or uses it to balance or jump which is why it has the extra legs while it uses the tentacles as its primary like mode of mm. defense cuz they can lash out a little bit um in more directions they have because they're I always see them more like how 
some animals have like prehensile tails. Mm. That's how I imagine they're being controlled with that sort of range of mus- musculature and movement to them. Uh, whereas the paws don't have as much flexibility to them. Now, if you, I mean, you mentioned having them as a pet mm-hmm. uh, and then they have a, you know, a relatively high intelligence score of six for, for a, uh, a beast. Mm-hmm. Uh, how would you role play as a DM a party meeting a displacer beast that doesn't lead to combat, let's say? Like, you know, Ooh, let me see. Hmm. I think it would be really interesting looking at like, how big cats in the wild work when they aren't really um, portrayed as like super vicious or um, being actively antagonized. The idea that like a lot of big cats have, um, a lot of big cats act like regular cats uh, and a lot of big cats have very familial and friendly natures. I think it would be very fun to have like them encounter like a snoozing displacer beast but where you see the displacer beast and where you're hearing it purr are two entirely different locations. Neither of which is probably where the displacer beast is, but you can hear like the rumble of its purring and you can see it snoozing as its like ten, uh, tentacles are lashing about mm. um, and seeing it um, maybe even having like a pack of displacer beasts with some younger ones, um, seeing how the younger ones are starting to learn how to not necessarily manipulate, but as their displacement abilities are coming in, sort of seeing them blip around a little bit more than the adult displacer beasts. Um, having them way. be a little bit more, yeah, having them be like territorial and guarded, but not outwardly attacking uh, unless attacked first. Uh, but I've always found that you put a, a a kitty in front of players, they will say it's a good kitty and they will try and pet it. Uh, <laughs> they are very, I have yet to encounter players who see like a monster that looks vaguely cuddle cuddleable and then they don't immediately go wait i want is my friend is so good is a good, good boy uh because like that happens with blink dogs it happens with displacer beasts uh that's happened with like owl bears yeah you put a monster that is vaguely reminiscent of a human a real life pet they're not gonna want to fight it. They're want They're gonna want to. It's like it's my friend now. No. <laughs> I want this pet, and it is a good kitty, and I will give it catnip, and I will call it Fluffy, and it will be mine. I love yeah. that. What's, what's uh, bad the other about type, that? There's the other type there's of players nothing. who will who will be like, oh, displacer beast. I'm gonna I'm gonna kill it and get its fur. Yeah. Which has oh. the displacing effect and try to you know yep. create uh, magic items from that, of course. I um, think it would be super cool to like meet a displacer beast who, even though they can't talk, they still have the intelligence to communicate. So like the same way that you can sometimes communicate with your pets or like mm. even with like crows and stuff where they have that level of intelligence uh, and being able to like shave a displacer beast and get some of that fur so you Ooh. can get the displacer beast cloak or craft a displacer beast based like item that makes that displacing effect without killing and taking its hide. Cause I always imagine it like with how polar bears, their fur is translucent and that's what allows it to absorb the light and help them camouflage. I always imagine the same thing was with displacer beast where it's not necessarily the the skin that causes the effect. It's how the hair the itself is, uh, is grown in the material the hair is made out of. So theoretically you could have a displacer beast like who barters with people tentatively 
um, to like, you know, and then they'll get groomed and all the hair that is shed is eventually woven into displacer beast cloaks. Oh, interesting. That is cool. I like that. Could be a, a lucrative side hustle for a displacer beast. Yeah. I, like I can I, imagine like there's someone who if I've seen those videos of people who accidentally make friends with packs of crows or murders of crows just because they keep get, leaving out shiny trinkets and the crows bring them stuff. I'm imagining there's some fae person somewhere in the fae wild who has just accidentally made friends with the family displacer beast that lives down the way. And it's just like sometimes they find dead, dead creatures just dragged up onto their porch is like, thank you. The same way yeah. cats will sometimes be like, look at the spider I killed. I made it for you. For I you. made it dead for you. I made it dead for you. <laughs> Yay. Give me well, the scritches. <laughs> and, that, and that leans back into what I love about these creatures too, is because you mentioned it earlier of their mm-hmm. displacing effect. Uh, and I think that's such a, a horror trope mm-hmm. in a way, right? Like, you know, if you think of, all of the horror movies we love, sometimes that displacing of, of what, I'm, what am I seeing is real, what am I seeing is not mm-hmm. real, that kind of moving forward and backward um, is, is jarring for, for yeah. us as humans. Um, and so I love that, that push and pull between they're these cute kitties, they're monstrous and they could kill you, uh, but they also have these, these cute qualities and they also uh, have all this, this, this horrible way in how we perceive them. Uh, mm-hmm. And having that being dramatized in, in, uh, by a DM uh, mm-hmm. could be really, really great. Mm. Uh, all right one last question go for it if you were in a fight with a displacer beast Uh and would they not quite kill you but leave you really close to death the way a cat just like i'm done like i think it would depend on the displacer beast uh same way it would depend with like lots of cats there are some cats who are very much like i will keep scratching you until you stop Uh, and then there are a lot who are more like just more defensive I think because there are a lot of displacer beasts who are trained to be like guard animals, those ones would be more likely to like deal a killing blow. Uh, But I think unless it's a displacer beast that's specifically hunting like prey to eat, I I don't know if they would actually be necessarily killing animals if they're encountered uh, and are mostly defending. Um, Similar to how like a lot of pack uh, animals work the priority is always going to be the pack or their family uh the the things they're guarding rather than entirely killing something it'll be incapacitating a threat which makes it really good for throwing at low-level parties so Mm because in case like the combat goes really poorly there is a reason for the the displacer beast to just get out of there and Mm -hmm. leave and the party can lick their wounds or wake up later exactly i love it i love it yeah I think, uh, you know, the push and pull between blink dogs mm-hmm. and displacer beasts is always really interesting, too. It, it, you know, I'm thinking of like Garfield and Odie, uh, uh, as well <laughs> as, you know, some more vicious cat versus dog battles. That I, have been I just out there. imagine the, uh, the, the therapy dogs that end up staying with cheetahs in, in zoos because cheetahs are incredibly anxious. So I'm just imagining blink dogs staying with displacer beasts and just That's them really chilling cute. out. <laughs> it's so cute. I love this. I want to play in this campaign. If they don't kill each other on sight, it's very cute. That's the thing. It's like Our you have friend. the therapy dogs because they're the cheetahs are just incredibly anxious animals. And just imagining this like a very jittery displacer beast with a blink dog uh, support, emotional support animal. <laughs> Oh, that is very funny. I love I can't that. Wait. 
Yes. Uh, well, wonderful. I love this dive on Displacer Beasts and how you could use them in your in your campaign. Definitely skewing a little bit more towards what if they were friends, but uh, I ah. also just love them as these horrible, uh, mm-hmm. uh, you know, way to throw uh, things are not quite what you see or you, what, what they seem uh, at the players. Awesome. Well, Mackenzie, yeah. thanks for joining us. What? Uh, how can people get in uh, touch with you, ask you questions about uh, your love of Displacer Beasts, and if you think hairless Displacer Beasts are a thing. Oh, no. <laughs> um, oh, no. Uh, you can find me over on Twitter at Mackenzie Lane DA. That's M-A-K-E-N-Z-I-E-L-A-N-E-D-A. Uh, that's where I spend a lot of my time, um, so feel free to just say hi, follow me over there, shoot me a question. Um, I'm pretty much never far away from my phone, so I'll probably see it. <laughs> or you know the displacing effect may may occur am i actually on twitter or not who knows <laughs> <laughs> that's the best all right well thanks for being here on our first meet your monsters segment so mackenzie you're the best guys think fun content talking about monsters uh it is one of my favorite parts of the dungeons and dragons oeuvre to be able to page through the monster manual of all of our books that have monster content uh and i'm so glad you get to meet some fun monsters in that segment i love it all right let us now turn to a stalwart in the DD community mr james and trocasso <laughs> Everyone, let's welcome James Introcasso to Dragon's Hog. Yay! James! So it's exciting. It's about time. <laughs> Thank you. I'm excited to be here, continuing the proud tradition of people who did theater in college showing up on Dragon Talk. So yes. that's what I'm here, here there to talk go. about today. The musical theater that we all did in college. So. We're not going to uh, do anything about Arcadia, nothing nope. about uh, 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 you know Kingdoms of Warfare and Strongholds and Followers, none of that. We're, We're just going to talk, talk about, about so what high, was your best high role? School theater. Yeah, what was your best role in high school <laughs> musical theater? Yeah, exactly. Well, you know, when I was Officer Lockstock and you're in town, that's really, it really brought the house down. That's really what it was about for me. So Hard to yeah, beat. Yeah. Hard to beat. I love that um, role. Just, so, just for, as a point of clarification... I never did musical theater, just straight up theater, because I oh. am not musical. Gotcha, gotcha. and I can't oh, dance. Know, I've I've heard you sing some some Hall and Oates on this uh, on this very podcast, Shelley. You are rather I, musical, and I am sorry about that. <laughs> I am sorry you heard that. <laughs> Cue up some Air Supply, and we'll get her singing. Oh, oh nice! Give there me a go. glass of Pinot Grigio and some Air Supply. <laughs> <laughs> That's a night. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely, air supply is white wine. I'm feeling. Yeah. Well, I I'm not. I'm not right. musical either. But for some reason, I could. I could move to the beat, and so I got uh, cast in a lot of things that I basically was told by the musical, you know, director, like, don't actually sing. Could you? Uh, <laughs> oh. Can you just move your lips and dance, and that'd be great because you're messing up everybody around you. <laughs> wow. Wow, that is. Wow, just, I was the same, but with dancing, right? They were like, mm. "You can sing and you can act pretty well, but please never actually dance. You're going to hurt somebody if you." Don't. So. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I wouldn't know either of those directives because nobody let me. Aww. Nobody let me sing or dance. <laughs> but we will let you. 
uh, no. at the end of this interview, we will have to we'll make <laughs> I you. Might, I might be so happy that James is finally here for an interview <laughs> that I might burst into song and dance. Yeah, so you have been uh, you know, doing tons of stuff in the TRPG space forever, it feels like, but there was a starting point at some point, right? When, when did you, you know, start playing D&D, but then also, like, when did you transition into, you know, writing? Because I think that's something that so many listeners are like, well, I want to do that, you know? So, yeah, what, what, what was your journey yeah, so I mean, my my origin story for playing is very prototypical. I had an older brother, and mm. he and his friends were playing second edition when I was nine years old. And their cleric went home early, and they were like, "Hey, James, come in here. You you can sit here. You can roll these spells and stuff." And I was hooked right because it was the early '90s, and uh, there wasn't any video game or board game experience that I had had like that where you could do whatever you wanted, right? Uh, and you could tell these stories. And it was also, I think, you know, a lot of people have hero worship for their older siblings. Mm. And so the fact that I got to hang out with my brother and his friends who were like, oh yeah, you know, fine, you can finally hang out with us also helped with that, right? Um, and then uh, I just continued to play, um, I you know, throughout high school and college and things like that. Um, kept up with the edition changes of D&D as they came out. And then uh, during the D&D Next playtest, this is going to sound like a lie because of how many podcasts there are today, but there weren't that many podcasts about Dungeons and Dragons. There were a couple of actual plays. There was uh, the official Dungeons and Dragons podcast. There was a podcast called The Tome Show. Um, and, and a handful of others that were sort of doing news, but I was craving news about the D&D Next playtest. Um, and so I kept saying to my wife, like, ah, oh, I really wish that somebody was doing this more. I really wish that I could keep up with this. And she said, you know, you have the skills, right? Because I worked in television and video at the time. She said, you have the mm. skills to make a podcast. You should do that. And so uh, I did. I, I reached out to the Tome Show and I said, I have this idea for a podcast. And they said, you should come do it on our show. And I did this weekly news show called The Roundtable where I kept up with what was happening with the playtest. Um, and then from that point, I thought, oh, it's, I'm so lucky to have an established audience in the Tome Show that I'm speaking to all the time. It would be great if I had a place to direct them to. And I thought, I've always wanted to do writing and design. Um, maybe I'll start a blog. So I started up a blog and I started to direct people to the blog from the podcast. Um, and then the blog started to get, uh, you know, people who were reading it, an audience, and that audience started to grow. And I started to share stuff on Twitter and Facebook and things like that. Um, and that's how I grew my audience. And I did that for about two years without doing any other work. And then I submitted myself to an online magazine that a young man named James Hake at the time uh, mm -hmm. was, uh, was the editor-in-chief for. And he uh, gave me my first paying job in RPGs um, at that nice. magazine oh. called Insider. Uh, and then from there, uh, you know, I started to get more jobs and eventually uh, got to work with Wizards of the Coast on official D&D products and uh, continued to write and freelance. Eventually, I, I quit my job in television and film and I started to do more and more RPG stuff. And uh, just last year, or actually, I guess at the beginning of this year, um, I started working with MCDM, which is Matt Colville's production company, and I'm the lead designer over at MCDM now. The real job. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. And that whole thing um, from podcast to now uh, took about eight years. So it was it was a long, slow process uh, that that all of that happened. And in, in that time, uh, I got to work on seven different hardcover products with you all, which was uh, amazing and a dream come true. So how did that happen? Because I mean, I know I know your name from like a million years ago. I feel like you're we're just as integrated in this D and D community as the ampersand. I mean, you're just part of it. <laughs> I don't. Wow. So, but I don't like. How did it, it happen? Like, who reached out to who that, that for your very first Wizards product? Yeah. So the first thing I worked on was Waterdeep Dragon Heist, and yeah. the way that that happened was. Uh, I Chris Perkins, I think, had asked for recommendations of writers oh, yes. online that people liked. And a few people had said my name. And then I got a direct message on Twitter from Chris Perkins that said, hey, do you have anything on the DMs Guild I could check out? And I did. I had some had put some stuff up on the DMs Guild. And I said, yeah, you know, the, here are some adventures that I'm really proud of that I just put up there. Check them out. Um, and then about a month went by and I didn't hear anything. And I was like, should I reach out? How does this work? What do I do? Uh, and uh, and I said, sent him a message that just said like, hey, you know, I know you're like super duper busy, but if you have any feedback on the stuff that you checked out, I would really appreciate it. Even if it's just broad one sentence, you suck. It would be great to know I suck <laughs> from Chris Perkins, right? Um, and, uh, and he then wrote back and said, you know, uh, can you send me your email address? And then sent an official offer for uh, Waterdeep Dragon Heist. Um, so that's how that happened. And on that book, um, I got to work with James Hake, uh, who is, again, the aforementioned person who yes. uh, is currently in the news quite a bit because he worked with you all on uh, the Critical Role book that you just announced. Big time. Yes. So exciting. Call of the Nether Deep. That's right. Yeah. That is so yeah. cool. So Chris Perkins reached out to you. You sent him. So this is another reason why I always tell people, like, you should be putting your stuff up on the DMs Guild because you never know who's reading it and, like, what other opportunities can can come from that. So very exciting. And then what was your, hopefully it was a good experience, your first or any of the yes. seven? Yeah, that, it was great. I'm really proud of the work that was done on Dragon Heist. Um, and it's an adventure that, because it has a special place in my heart, uh, I have run many times for friends. Um, it's also an easier adventure to run for for people because it goes from levels one to five and uh, you can sort of mix and match so you don't get bored as the GM running it over and over again. Um, and so that is... Uh, uh, it, I, I have had a great experience on every book that I have worked on with all of you. And I sort of, for a while, was in like a uh, collect all the design team mode because I got to work with, you know, um, Wes and Adam and Jeremy. Mm -hmm. And so it was great to be able to work with all of these different people on the design team too and learn how each of them works. Um, and everybody there is like... like super organized, uh, really knows like exactly what they want. And so that was really helpful um, to be able to work with a team that sort of was focused on what they wanted, at least from me, which was good. I've always been a big fan of Waterdeep too. Like that was such a, uh, uh, you know, uh, professional milestone for me, just being able to do the D&D Live where there was this the city block and, yes. and, and having that. I love urban adventures too, so... Uh, what do you do? You remember? Can you just tell what parts you worked on? Uh, I think I remember seeing it in the Zeitgeist, but I don't want to <laughs> speak out of turn. Yes, yeah. So I worked on um, the. Uh, I think it's chapter four, which is the actual like chase of the Stone of Galore through Waterdeep. Um, 
And I worked on, uh, as well, the Manchun Lair chapter. Oh my gosh, you have the Stone of Galore right there. I've forgotten oh, I have the actual Stone God. of Galore from, from uh, D&D Live. You rescued that from your desk at the office, Greg. It, I did, exactly, right? This is the, the, the loaf with eyes. Yep. <laughs> it's, so it's incredible. Yes, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so that that and the Manchun chapter and the Jarlaxle chapter um, are the nice. ones that I, I worked on. And the Jarlaxle chapter, that was great because I, you know, I grew up reading R.A. Salvatore books. So it was like, whoa, I get to write Jarlaxle in an official D&D thing. This is amazing. Uh, so that was a lot that of That is fun. amazing. Yeah, That's cool stuff. Um, it, I love what you're doing at um, Arcadia uh, for MCDM. Like such a great resource for... Uh, people out there who are looking for other content uh, around Dungeons and Dragons, you just dropped one issue recently that has uh, uh, a really fun character class that's you know close to my heart, the Beastmaster uh, version of, oh, of the yeah. Ranger, right? Yeah. So, talk a little bit about how it was like getting in that gig with Matt Colville and 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 what the, what it's like on that team there. Yeah, it's great. So I started working with MCDM as a freelancer a while back. We released a book called Kingdoms and Warfare um, earlier this year. And that book is all about like big scale battles and running a, your own thieves guild or mages circle in D&D. And so I'd started working on that book with them. Um, and then Matt said to me, hey, do you want to come work with us full time? I have this idea for a monthly magazine that would come out. And I think you would be great to be the managing editor for it because you know a lot of people. Um, uh, <laughs> and I was like, oh, well, man, that's good. I, I do know a lot of people. Um, and so, uh, so that's how it sort of started my involvement with it. Before that, what had happened was they were looking through the art book that um, that you all had put out, the, the collected history of Dungeons & Dragons through art. Art and um, Arcana. Yes, Art and Arcana. Um, and uh, Anna, who is our head of operations, was looking through it and was looking at Dragon Magazine covers and said, like, why, why does no one do this anymore? Why don't we have, like, cool magazine covers with dragons and stuff like that on them? Um, and that was sort of the impetus. She said that to Matt and Matt, and the art director and Anna all started talking together and they were like, we should make a magazine. Um, and so, uh, so they talked to me to like reach out to writers and get pitches and stuff like that. And what's really cool for me is, you know, we're looking for content that is usable at the table, right? Um, subclasses and adventures and new monsters and spells and magic items and stuff like that. Um, but we're not necessarily looking for anything like particular other than those general categories. Mm. And so we, we approach writers and say, do you want to write for us? Pitch us some ideas. And then they'll come back and say, yeah, here's a, a great idea that I had for new mounts that you could use at the table. And we can ride frogs and purple worms and boulets and all these kind of things. Or here's an adventure we have that is all about like a workshop, a magical workshop that comes to life, right? Um, and it's great because it is a passion project for that writer and they're really leading the project. I'm just helping shepherd it along and giving development ideas and things like that, but they're really the ones in charge of that. And so we get a uh, some pretty wild stuff uh, in the pages of Arcadia that I never would have thought of on my own. And it's great to see what other people are thinking of. So in a way, you're kind of like Chris Perkins <laughs> and reaching out to different people in the community, all of the people that you know and whose work that you've admired or 
tinkered with, and now you you get to help elevate them too. Uh, uh, I don't know that I would give myself such a prestigious title as to be a Perkins, um, but, uh, but Perkins-esque. I, I, yes, exactly. I do like the idea. One of the big things that I really like about Arcadia is it does give us a chance to uplift other writers. Um, and as somebody who worked freelance myself, right, it's like great to be able to, I was done a lot of kindnesses, uh, to pass on that kindness, to other people and and work with new people and see what cool stuff is happening and um, it really does feel like like ten years ago um, you know I don't know that there were this many opportunities in the role playing game space and I a lot of that has to do with the success of this current edition of D and D for sure yeah I love that paying it forward idea it was something mm-hmm. that I loved about being a game journalist and being in that freelance game for a long time and then getting hired to to accept pitches and work with, with, with writers on, on, on developing their stories, you know, from the germ of the idea to execution. Yes. And that is super rewarding and almost feels like teaching. It feels like, uh, you know, leading a writing group uh, and, and seeing the talent just kind of spring forth, right? So that's got to be super, you know, almost like a dungeon master as well. Like I'm facilitating the storytelling of players at the table and you're doing that same thing with, uh, with RPG writers. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and it it is, it's a whole collaborative process where I feel like I'm passing on knowledge. I'm getting knowledge from the the writers and stuff. And then we also work with great editors. Um, Hannah Rose, who I think you've talked to before, uh, just incredible. Um, Sadie Lowry, uh, who uh, is a writer on uh, your new Critical Role book that was just announced. Um, She uh, also does a lot of editing of Arcadia for us. And like, I'm constantly, they're blowing my mind because I'll turn things over to them and they're like, well, what about this? Oh, did you know this? Did you? And it's like just this great exchange of ideas that's constantly going on. And it does feel like storytelling in that way, in the way we collaboratively storytell in D&D too. It's all full circle. Can't yeah. shake it. Can't shake that D&D. It- Can't, cannot. <laughs> so you have, so, so Arcadia is a monthly magazine. Yes. Yeah. It comes out every month. It's delivered through our Patreon. um, And you can also buy individuals on the MCDM store. Um, So yeah, if you go to the MCDM Patreon, I think it's patreon.com slash MCDM um, and, uh, and that kind of thing you can sign up. So uh, you can get all the back issues and the current issues for five bucks. uh, Plus the ill rigor class, which is a class that Matt created himself. Um, And so it's all about like being a knight of, the hells uh so uh so you get a lot of cool stuff for five bucks um we are about to put out issue nine in october uh we're just going to have some fun level zero rules uh for uh for you know uh surviving uh at level zero you basically you create four characters uh, and they go through this adventure called a funnel um (laughs) and the character that lives is your character then that you take through your campaigns uh designer named chris Bissett uh wrote that for us really proud of the work that they did on that what yeah that's a cool idea i like that idea (laughs) because it brings back that old you know uh Original D and D, right? Where you like, you, you know, you treat you try to create as many characters and henchmen as possible, so that you know, if one of them dies, you can just continue the session with one before it, uh, and then you eventually have one that you kind of like and is your, your 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 avatar going forward, and that feels like you're doing that uh, in the fifth edition era uh, with this funnel idea. 
That's yeah, so cool. exactly. Yeah, I think uh, it comes from this idea that a lot of old school style games have ones called Dungeon Crawl Classics. Um, yeah. And uh, and Chris has sort of adapted it for 5th edition, which is really, it just it really, really well done and fun. Um, so our playtesters had a blast with it. That sounds awesome. I feel like characters died more often in the earlier editions. It, can either yeah. of you corroborate that? <laughs> I don't I I started I guess it was 3.5 when I started and there was a lot of character death then too but I just feel like mm-hmm. listening to people who have played first second edition it seems like their characters were always dying <laughs> like immediately it depends <laughs> on your players of- <laughs> <laughs> cuz my fifth edition campaign I feel like I had about 5 deaths two of which I've I've uh let go through Three others I kind of pulled the punch on, which I'm regretting. But <laughs> Wait, you of your characters or you as the dungeon master? No, me as the fun. dungeon master. So I'm killing them. Uh, so maybe it's me. I'm. I'm what, the- <laughs> what uh? What what level is that campaign that you? It killed? was. Uh, I think the de- first one was level two, uh, and then you know we just had one recently. Was it was level four? They were at. Um, oh okay yeah. Yeah. So I think it's honestly just from. Uh, oh, let me just go up and fight this big bad. Without without uh, doing the tactics they had, uh, you know, thought of ahead of time, they were like, "Oh, I can just go toe to toe." I'm like, "Well, a couple of crits later, and you're you're real dead." Classic. Oh, Classic. No. <laughs> well, actions have consequences. We have to learn. That's true. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. I did end up bringing that character back to life as a uh, basically a death knight uh, type of thing. So, well, awesome. I don't know if it's a, a good or a bad thing, but we'll see. That's kind of fun. It's memorable, right? Which is very important in D&D, I feel like. If if it's a story everybody's going to tell later, then that death was worth it. So. For sure. That character came back, the the player's character, you you brought back, you the dungeon master. Uh, yes, yeah, essentially. I mean, it's I like, like an like undead that. campaign, yeah. and so they were fighting against like an undead lich lord, essentially, and he was like, well, you can basically gave the the uh, the choice like you can die die or i can bring you back as my you know servant in death and he's like sure i'll do the servant in death thing that sounds great <laughs> <laughs> okay this like is good, good notes for drunky two shoes to remember yes. shelly you gotta remember this for <laughs> she will never be fully gone never never <laughs> oh that's uh, awesome I, uh, yeah um, and what, yeah, so what's coming up next for, for you? You wanted to tease some of the stuff that's coming in Arcadia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Tell us more uh, in the future. Yeah, definitely. So we've got Arcadia. Like I said, issue nine's coming now. We've got planned articles up to issue twenty-two. Um, wow. So we are, uh, yeah, we're we're cruising. We've got people contracted. Uh, we're writing stuff. Um, so uh, something cool that you'll see in the pages are, yeah, you mentioned the Death Knight. Um, we definitely want to also make like a war night and a famine night and a pestilence night and, you know, bring out all the uh, horsemen of the apocalypse as knights uh, is, uh, is one fun thing that we want to do. There's something really cool coming. uh, That is the idea of like a uh, paragon class. Um, uh, So like a class that if you're playing with just one person, um, 
you could play through something like Tomb of Annihilation or Curse of Strahd uh, because they have this class that is like the uber class that can do it all. Um, so it's meant for one-on-one games. It's not meant for you to bring to the table and outshine all of your other friends who are playing. It's meant for like you want to you know, be balanced and play through these hardcover adventures, maybe just, you know, you and a partner or you and a friend, whatever it may be. Um, so I'm really uh, quite excited about that. Uh, That's and then a cool idea. That some... reminds me of like the uh, the Lone Wolf books. Do you ever play yes. those? Right, where you were basically an OP character that could do anything, but you were, <laughs> you know, it was super fun just to go through the choose your own adventure style thing and then have a few random number uh, things along the way. But I do remember looking back and being like, man, once I got that sun sword, I could basically kill anything I wanted. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, exactly. But it's fun to just experience the story, even if it is, you know, in a somewhat, you know, in, in a balanced game, as you're saying, it would be one overpowered character taking it all. But that's some people's, you know, uh, only way to play. Yeah, exactly. And I think, you know, there's so many great adventures out now. Um, It's one way that a player and a GM can experience more of them because maybe you've got your weekly game uh, or maybe you don't have any game right now, but you could play. You have one friend who really wants to play, right? Now you you have the option to be able to do that for, for certain things, right? There are some adventures already written, like the Essentials Kit, that let you play one-on-one, which is great. Um, so, you know, we wanted to take that idea and, and expand it further. Um, we also have rules coming out for uh, how to eat and cook monsters. Um, so, uh, and and what happens what? when you eat Tarasque Tartar. Uh, so, uh, yeah, so we've got all kinds of fun stuff like that that I I think people are really going to like and we've got uh horror stuff coming up and just a lot of things that i think people are really going to enjoy because we sort of reach for authors all over the place um to solicit pitches to us so we end up with a lot of really uh fun and interesting ideas so before we started recording we were talking about some of, of the tv shows that we've been watching and Noted that there's a lot of emotional TV on right That's now. Right. Um, are you seeing, like, with the the pitches that you're getting from writers within, like, the last however many months, um, have, have you noticed, like, just given, like, the, the circumstances we're dealing with, are, is there, like, a theme? Like, are you getting, like, a lot of dark stuff? Or are you seeing, like, nope, mm. there's a lot more of, like, lighter things happening because we need more of an escape? Is there any theming to, like, the, what you've seen out there? I feel like uh, I, I see two ends of the spectrum, and I rarely see the middle. Is, you know, like, um, I, I have one author uh, who is currently working on, like, a thing about sleep paralysis demons and uh, things that enter your nightmares from, you know, the astral plane tearing into our reality made manifest uh, nightmare dragon, right? Like all of these kinds of very thick horror things. And then I have somebody who's like, I want to write about what it's like to cook the Tarasque uh, body parts and and the powers that you would get from eating the Tarasque, um, <laughs> you know, and, uh, and people who are like, I want to write about... Um, uh, someone who wants to do horror NPCs, but like the silly horror NPCs. So like, you know, the uh, if you watch what we do in the shadows, the Guillermo 
of uh, of Strahd, right? Like who's Strahd's bumbling familiar who's always <laughs> dropping things and stuff like that. So it's definitely uh, at both ends. And what's nice is um, we can mix and match those in, yeah. in an article or in an issue of Arcadia. And people seem to really respond well to that um, because they can find something that they like and that appeals to them in there. And we try to mix it up. You know, if we do like, a bunch of monsters in one issue. The next issue, we'll try not to have any monsters and we'll do magic items or something else like that so that we're constantly changing and, and shifting and, and just giving a wide variety of things. Right now, it, it also still feels like kind of an experiment. Um, so I don't know how long we get to get away with saying like, well, let's just try it and see if it works. Uh, but so far, it's, uh, it's working and uh, hopefully it continues to. Good. That's great. Let's, it sounds fun. If, yeah, are, if you're, are you actively, I mean, you said you're booking out to, to issue 22 at this point, but like, you know, I think a lot of people, like I said, people listening to this might want to pitch some stuff uh, to you. So is there like an open pitch system or are you still working kind of with uh, internal networks? Yeah, so what I am doing is uh, we don't have an open pitch process, but uh, I am also not just reaching out to like friends and people I know. I'm reaching out to a lot of people I haven't worked before with before. Um, I'm scouring places like the DMs Guild and Drive Through RPG and Reddit and blogs and uh, to look for people all the time. So that's part of my job, right? Is staying up to date with like who's writing for stuff. Um, what are they doing? Uh, can we get you in to to do that? So unlike uh, you know, Dungeon and Dragon magazine, um, we don't have the manpower right now to sort through open pitches. Matt mm. did that at one point for Kingdoms of Warfare and got like 500 things and it took him three months to go through it all, right? Um, it would slow down our process for the magazine. Uh, however, uh, I'm constantly you know, looking at stuff, I'm constantly too much on uh, the spiraling rage machine known as Twitter. Um, <laughs> so uh, if anybody, uh, you know, knows somebody or, or really likes things, feel free to tweet them at me and I try to check out what I can. Um, so right now, that's the process that could change in the future and we could develop a more formal process uh, if our staff grows. Makes okay. a lot of sense. That slush pile is always really hard to, to go through. Yeah. But- R.A. Salvatore always tells the story about he was in the slush pile. He was rescued from, that's where his his first uh, manuscript was found. So there's good stuff to be had in there. Definitely, definitely. So, so what do you look for? And like, how there's so much content out there. There's so many people creating. And like, how how as a writer do they stand out to you or a designer? What do you look so, for? And that's a great question. So I like to look for things that are uh, first and foremost original, right? Like, um, so uh, if it's not another adventure about, uh, you know, a goblin in a hole, um, that'll probably grab my attention a little bit more if it's something uh, that is uh, unique, that brings a, a different perspective to things. Um, you know, that's that's one thing. The other thing that I look for uh, then is like strength in your prose writing and uh, in your technical writing, right? A lot of game design writing is technical. And uh, when do you put the word successful in a skill check? Uh, how do you know that it's called actually an ability check and not a skill check in fifth edition, right? All that kind of stuff um, is something that uh, we look for because it cuts down the my work and the work of the editors, if you already sort of understand the style that you're dealing with. Um, and then the other thing is uh, what's called like information design, which is, uh, sounds really boring, um, but it's basically like, hey, when we're talking about an adventure, do you 
give me the background information that I need first, and then a little summary of the adventure, and then do you give me like the adventure in the logical order that I would expect to have the information in? Um, those are all things that sound kind of easy, but uh, honestly take like a lot of hard work. Uh, and mm. I remember when I started to write stuff, somebody gave me the advice of like, you know, people will work with you if you have two of these three things, talent, a good attitude, or your stuff is on time, right? Um, and it's and it's right. Like, you know, it's it's all formatted properly. It's all that kind of thing. And I was like, well, two of those things are under my control. <laughs> I don't know if I have the talent, right? But I know that I can, my attitude, and I know that I can put in the work to like make sure things get done on time and they're done properly. Um, so that was a, a big thing for me. Um, and I would say similar, we're, we're looking for those kind of things. If you have all three, that's really the best. Um, so, but, uh, but yeah, we would love to, uh, that's, that's sort of what we look for, right? Those technical skills and those pros, creative skills mixed together. I think that a lot of times people underestimate how far a good attitude will actually get you. Oh, yeah. and, and how quickly a bad attitude will will end it. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. yeah. In fact, I think that's truer even more now, right? You say they say you need to have two of the three, but honestly, if you have a crappy attitude that like that I don't care if you have the other two. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's not worth it. Like there's you know, there's plenty of, of people out there that are willing to to do that work and would be extremely grateful to get that work. If you cannot take feedback, mm-hmm. you're and you're very hostile about the feedback. I am thinking of like a very, like a, a, an experience when I was working on board games at Wizards. I would get a lot of people pitching because we were like, there was opportunity to pitch some new ideas. And we, you know, if we had liked the idea, we could, you know, try to put the resources behind it. But there were some very talented people that just had really crappy attitudes and board games take a long time to yeah. make. And I could just picture like the next 16 months working with you. <laughs> no, this isn't going to happen. So, yeah. right. Come on, people. If, especially if you're showing that, that friction in that, in that phase. Yes. You're like, oh my gosh, what is it going to be like? Down the road, when the you know it, the the tires are hitting the in, in, the the road, uh, yep. I'm losing this metaphor here, but you know, <laughs> yeah, it's 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 definitely huge. And I remember even when uh, my wife and I were you know more in theater business type stuff to bring mm. it back to that, like there was this weird thing that we got taught at our school that was like be professional, be like super. When you're in the audition room, you are there to audition, and you don't want to laugh, you don't want to joke. They're not your friends. You want to just do your thing. And I feel like we internalized that so much that we were assholes in the room and we didn't realize it, right? And that is, uh, you know, it's the same situation in an audition. You're really just trying to, it's a little bit of an interview. It's a little bit of a like, hey, do you want to work with this person on this project for the next six months? Um, So you have to be personal and, uh, uh, you know, willing to take feedback and exercise on that feedback in a way that feels like, okay, this person can take direction. Absolutely. Yeah, that's, I actually, I worked in casting at a theater here in Philadelphia. It's where I met my wife. Um, And that is such a true thing, right? Somebody would come into the casting room, uh, you know, the audition room, knock it out of the park with their, their vocals and everything. And then they'd leave and the casting director would be like, yeah, but this person is a pain to work with. Right. Uh, And it was like, well, okay. You know, that's done. done. (laughs) That was it. For sure. So be nice out there, kids. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, the the same applies for uh, kids and uh, 
sports because, you know, mm, a lot of times coaches aren't going to draft your kid if the parents are a jerk. But if you're one who, like, volunteers and always brings snacks, but your kid's not that great, they might get on the team. <laughs> so you better believe it. I will always be like, I'll volunteer to do that. So, there you go. Whatever it takes, man. Although he is actually pretty good at baseball. Um, but it's changing subjects a little from my kid and baseball. Do you, do you remember any feedback that you have gotten in your career that really changed things for you or like was really a pivotal moment that you still carry with you in your work today? Yeah. So I think, I mean, there's, there's all kinds of writing rules that I think both of you as writers, right, probably have in your head. Um, and, and the thing about writing rules is like any art, it's like, well, that's a rule, but we don't always follow that rule. And it's, you know, like uh, things like passive voice and, uh, and that mm. sort of thing, I think, um, you know, are constantly in my head, especially because not only do I do my own writing now, I do a lot of editing of the work of others, right? And so I try to think about like, what is the fifth edition D&D style? What is the MCDM style? I got all that, you know, what is the Chicago manual of style? What is just good writing? It sort of goes in layers like that. And uh, and then I'm trying to uh, put it all together as I'm working. But as far as like actual advice goes, um, this is a big thing that when I started to make my own products, right? And and when I was blogging that I got the advice from uh, Mike Shea, who I think you you probably mm-hmm. know. So he was my dungeon master. We both lived in DC for a while. Oh, cool. um, and, uh, and his advice to me was like, you should not try to chase trends, right? And so if, I don't know, owlbears are really hot right now, but you don't like writing in a, about owlbears, don't write about owlbears. Write about the thing you want to write about. Um, because that is going to come through in your writing and it's going to help carry you through to like that extra revision that you need to do before you turn it in. You're more likely to do it. That uh, that idea of like getting out there on Twitter and pushing it. If, it, if you're the sole promotion machine for this product you've created, um, getting out there and pushing it, you'll feel better about doing it. If it's something you liked doing, if it's something you enjoyed doing, you'll feel better about you know, putting in the extra look over on the layout, all that kind of stuff. And that has stuck with me as like, a, you should always find the joy in what you're doing and make that the focus of what you're doing because, you know, it's games, right? Like this, we're doing this for fun mm-hmm. um, and we should never lose sight of that. That passion can drive a lot, but you got to, you know, identify the passions that you have. And it's a little bit that axiom of like, write what you know, but it is yeah. write what you are jazzed about. And uh, that is really good advice. I think, uh, you know, it, it, taking that to hold uh, is something that everybody should think about in their lives in general, uh, not just in, in, in RPG content. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah, Solid absolutely. <laughs> uh, speaking yeah. of which, I have always loved the idea uh, that was from old Dungeons and Dragons that like once you got your fighter to level 10, you got a stronghold and you got <laughs> fighters that came to your side and the game morphed into, a, you know, or could morph into a more political wargaming uh, style of play. Um, I, I worked on a product in the, you know, fourth edition era that was uh, yes. similar of that. And, and I love that. Um, MCDM is continuing that trend with uh, strongholds and followers and, and kingdoms and warfare. So 
Can you talk a little bit about what that is about and, and, and you know, your passion around it or, or you know, the passion of the company around it and, and, and how people could get into that style of play? Because I think it's really cool. Yeah, absolutely. Strongholds and Followers is the book that made MCDM a company. Um, so Matt was, you know, given advice on YouTube uh, in his running the game series of videos for Dungeon Masters. Um, and he, he always wanted to put out this book that was sort of a, you know, uh, house rules that he had created and then he wanted to play test and perfect um, that were rules for strongholds, like you had said, right? Like your level 10 fighter gets a gets a cool fort um, and followers for the people who will follow you into battle and that kind of thing. Uh, and that book did better than he anticipated, so he quit his job and started a company. Um, <laughs> and so uh, that idea, right, it, it takes that idea of like, uh, what are the cool things you can do with a stronghold? So obviously, you know, you can deck it out, you can defend it, uh, you can do all that kind of stuff. But then like, if you have a wizard tower, maybe you can do really big spells, right? It, because you get your followers in there, you perform some big ritual, right? If you have a, a fortress, maybe you can train armies, uh, to come and do cool stuff with you. And then those armies can help you when you need to overthrow an enemy with an army, that kind of thing. And then Kingdoms and Warfare um, is, so I would say they're separate books, right? You don't need one to use the other, but they, you know, they're fun. They're both fun and you can use both of them too if you want. Kingdoms and Warfare takes uh, the idea of you as player characters running an organization. Um, and that could be a thieves guild, a church, uh, a, you know, a, a band of mercenaries. There's an adventuring guild uh, that is one of the organizations, right? That's just you and other adventurers uh, hanging out together. Um, and then using that organization to take on other evil organizations an undead domain run by a lich, right? A, a tyranny, of dragons uh, that are uh, all together. Um, and so this whole idea is that you create your organization to take on other evil organizations. And the way those organizations can take each other on is by building armies. And so we have rules then too for warfare that you can use. Um, and you create these armies and these armies uh, then come together and they battle. Uh, and while they're battling, you're like, battling the lieutenants of that organization together. And so it's this big climactic, you know, think Lord of the Rings, uh, anything with with big fantasy battle scenes in it where you can recruit, uh, you know, um, dragons to help you on your side uh, and all kinds of fantasy creatures. And the enemy can do that too. And you can have hordes of zombies clashing against dwarves and humans and things like that. Um, so it is super fun. It also has a big adventure that teaches you how to use the system written by Teo Sabadea. Um, and it's got a bunch of new monsters and stuff in it and magic items, things like that as well. Uh, and so that's the idea behind Kingdoms of Warfare. That's the one that just came out. Part of the fun of Kingdoms and Warfare, right, is we have this system for warfare that the community has turned into a competitive game too. So they'll say like, <laughs> hey, there's no D&D &D tonight. Only two people can make it, but I'm going to grab an army and you grab an army and let's play warfare together. And they fight each other in warfare. Um, so that's been really fun to see like this game that was sort of never really intended spring up through the warfare system. Uh, I love and, that. And uh, yeah. So there's all kinds of Discord <clears throat> servers now that are teaching people like, here's how to play competitive warfare. Like they've created their own game off of our game, which is just mind boggling. It's so funny that it's like D&D &D inspired by wargaming. 
uh, <laughs> in, you know, in the seventies, and then it, you know, it had some of those those things, and it kind of went out of style for about thirty mm-hmm. years, <laughs> and then here it is, all of a sudden, becoming back into a war game again uh, for for certain fans. I think that's so interesting, and, and uh, just you know, watching the culture move and shift in the community uh, adopt different things is super fun. Um, I love that idea of a competitive thing. I've always wanted to run that in a, you know, it, we've talked a lot about Dungeon Masters, how they run separate parties in different locations of the same game oh, world, yeah. right? And can you imagine then also, you know, <laughs> the ones we've talked about, that's all been cooperative in some way. But imagine if it was, imagine if it was actually a competitive thing where the different parties were recruiting armies to fight against each other, take a lot of, you know, DM organization uh, to do that. <laughs> but I think that would be such a fun way to use these rules uh, that kind of melds the competitiveness of board games and strategy board games with the um, freedom of, of, of TRPG, you know, play. Yeah, absolutely. Right. That, that would be awesome uh, to, to see something like that go down would just be uh, mind blowing and fun. And you could, it would take, like you said, it would take work, but you could do that with these rules and, uh, and it's great because then it's combined with right. These, uh, fifth edition rules for for combat then can be happening at the same time and like there are rules for like if your army you know does a cool thing um, and starts to beat their enemies then the player characters get this surge of morale that mm. helps them do extra things in their like personal combat with the lieutenants of the army so it is uh, you know tying the story of the struggle of these two armies to the story of the characters was really important for us because we didn't want it to feel like Okay, now we're playing a different game. All of a sudden, uh, we wanted to be able to tie into everything that yeah. uh, that we were doing. It's an add-on system, not a, a completely new system uh, in that regard. Yeah, so that was exactly. really smart. That was really smart. Fun Greg, stuff. you just want to kill more players. That's <laughs> you started this interview with like, oh, I've killed like five people. Now you're like, I could kill them all. <laughs> we could kill each other, and it'd be so fun. <laughs> Uh, I know. I mean, I, maybe it's just I'm, I'm obsessed with that kind of epic fantasy of like the Game of Thrones style of you know, warring yes. houses, and there's no good, uh, you know, characters uh, necessarily. And so I love that idea of being like, what if you were role playing in that world, uh, and you know, each of the each of the parties would have their own loyalties. I just think but that's so fun. Could you have it with like different parties, but also different dungeon masters? So like, sure. it's like sure. a competitive dungeon mastering. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> well, that could get bad real quick if you're like, well, I'm just going to give mm-hmm. this party all the magic items. <laughs> yeah, we, I guess there would have to be one arbitrator. Of- I think it would have to be like a co-DM kind of situation where you'd have, you know, yeah. uh, uh, like a LARP, honestly, like the way LARPs are run. Yeah. Right? Where That's there's a bunch actually- of... Uh, I am working on a product with uh, my friend Rudy Basso right now. This is not for yeah. MCDM, but it's a fifth edition thing where um, uh, we were playtesting it, and it's basically that you're... Uh, it's inspired by Hamlet. You're all of the various main characters in Hamlet. And it takes two GMs to run because uh, the players are really infighting amongst each other, right? Um, they, You know, <laughs> Hamlet wants to kill Claudius and Claudius wants to kill Hamlet and they're making alliances and shifting like that. So the reason it needs two DMs is because the players were constantly like, I want to go over here and uh, and chat with people about this, but I don't want somebody else to hear me. So I was like, okay, I'll go over here. You run this, and like we'll all come together. So it is uh, a lot of fun to be able to uh, do two GM player on player sort of stuff uh, if as long as everybody's down for it, right? Well, then I want to be Fortinbras 
and just uh, invade and take it over. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Well, and that's what happens at the end, right? It's like, well, did you all come together or did you not? Because guess who's here? It's Fortinbras. So, yeah, oh, that's um, good. It's like a, the, the Deus Ex Machina at the end to kind of wrap up the game. That's kind of cool. Exactly, exactly. And Fortinbras, spoilers, is a vampire. So, you know. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's canon. I don't know if Shakespeare wrote it that way, but we'll just, you know, go ahead and say he, I, I feel like that yeah. could be true. Yeah. Exactly. exactly. It works. It works. Speaking of of bad players and player versus player, I'm looking at your backdrop behind you, James. Oh, yes. yes. Is that Betrayal at Baldur's Gate, I see? It sure is. Oh, uh, I yeah. love that game. So, yes, we, we play a lot of Betrayal at uh, fill in the blank here. Um, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, my, uh, my wife loves the betrayal games uh and so like when people are over i'll be like do you want to play a game she'll be like no let's let's talk right and i'm like do you want to play betrayal and she's like yes absolutely and so we bring it out then and uh yeah and it's super i mean i just love the game so much Uh, i love the fact that it it's so fresh because it's always changing so really really well done i've yet to find that board game that my wife will always play (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> instead of talking what instead is that thing oh, right. Aaron will yeah. choose over talking I can sometimes get her to do like a ticket to ride or uh, mm. uh, you know something like that uh, Catan sometimes but yeah yeah, well, not so much we, uh, we've been playing a lot of Rat-a-tat-cat in this household <laughs> lately mm. nice good quick fun card game there you go oh, Rat-a-tat-cat Rat-a-tat-cat right. mm-hmm. Do it. Or some Dungeon Mayhem always is good to... Dungeon Mayhem always always works too. It's true. I do. I have that somewhere back here as well. <laughs> so I, I've, I've got it all represented, Shelly. It's, just so it's, a, it's <laughs> a good backdrop. I, I do. I enjoy. Excellent. And Excellent. the Jenga as well, I see. Yes. Well, yeah. <laughs> I, I know we only have a couple more minutes, but I definitely want to give a shout out to you for creating something that's been one of my most favorite RPG things over the last five years or so. It just warms my heart. It makes me laugh. Your dad's monster manual <laughs> oh, is so yes. funny, and I love the genesis of the project. And you know, it just—it's—it's it's one of those just bright spots of of, of community creations. Uh, so kudos for that. But can you talk a little bit about what it was like putting that together? Yeah, I mean, it was a ton of fun, and it was one of those things where it was at the end of 2019. Um, I had like fired off a tweet without thinking about it that was like, "What if I showed my dad?" the art in the monster manual and asked him what he thought like each creature's name and story and powers were. And then I rewrote the monster manual based on his responses. Uh, and it was my most like engaged with tweet ever retweeted, liked, commented on. So I was like, Oh, I, I guess I should do this. Um, and at the <laughs> time, uh, I was a DMs guild adept, uh, which meant that like we had access to the art assets um, that are in official products. Um, so I no longer am now that I work with MCDM. But uh, but so I was like, oh, I could actually do this with the art in the monster manual uh, to be able to make this and put this up on the DMs Guild. And, uh, and so I started then uh, to do these interviews with my father where we would sit down and I would show him the art. Like I would bring it up on D&D Beyond, right? And just show him the art and say like, what do you think this is? What are you... Um, and uh, and it was great because it, it the us having those chats went into the beginning of the pandemic and the mm. beginning of the pandemic mm. a thousand years ago I don't know if you remember this but <laughs> it was it, we were like even more terrified I feel like in some respects than we were because we didn't know anything about how 
COVID-19 was spread, right? And so I was staying very far away from my father who was older. Um, yeah. and, uh, and so it was a great way for us to like get together and talk about stuff and laugh for a long time. Um, and so we did a bunch, a bunch of interviews uh, and we went through the whole monster manual and then I picked like 80 of the creatures, right? Because there were some things that he knew, like he knows what a dragon is when he sees it, right? So <laughs> it wasn't worth being like, he was like, well, that's a dragon, it breathes fire. I was like, yeah, well, that's okay. Um, uh, <laughs> Nailed it. And then there were some that like, you see one slide, you've kind of seen them all, right? So we didn't do every creature in the book, um, mm. but we did do about 80 of them and, and put them together. And it was great because then uh, I got to to work on it and then Hannah Rose edited it uh, along with uh, Daniel Kwan and Leona Maple got to work on it. Rich Leska Flair laid it out and we put it up. Uh, and it's been, the community response to it has been amazing. And it's one of the things that you don't think about, right? Is like, uh, you know, when I showed him a beholder, he was like, well, this this thing looks like it rolls on the ground, right? He had no idea that this flies. <laughs> uh, and and I said to him, well, how big do you think it is? And he said, oh, it's probably like the size of a grapefruit. Um, oh, oh, it's so cute. I love yeah, this and he so came much. up with this whole story where they like roll on the ground and they love practical jokes and uh <laughs> you know that that they do all of these things that are um silly kind of like gremlins from the movie gremlins and it totally changed the beholder um and that was the first one that we did and from there uh we were we were sort of like well this is the magic um or we're gonna keep doing this uh so yeah it was a lot of fun <laughs> what were some of his other just a couple of good highlights Oh, sure. Yeah. So uh, he thought that uh, like a purple worm had a portal in its belly. <laughs> um, and so when you when you get eaten by a purple worm in his world, you get transported to a different uh, cool. domain, um, which was really fun. Uh, the owlbear, um, he was like, oh, you know, I think this this thing is called a bear owl. So <laughs> okay, uh, I, guess, I guess the art has really nailed it there. Um, and uh, but like that, it eats citrus fruit, and it's smart, and it like is is just sort of grumpy, um, uh, kind of like an eeyore, uh, and it sits there in the woods. Um, but if you bring it fruit, it will give you answers to things, uh, you know, like answers to to problems because it's very smart and things like that. So um, all of them fruit, were really oh. fun. Yeah, so yeah, cute. exactly, exactly. So he approached it all, I would say, with sort of a um, childlike wonder, um, but was also like very serious, took it very seriously about like, I'm not going to say... I'm not going to make dad jokes about this, right? He didn't want to make too many dad jokes or anything like that. And I'm glad because I think it really did end up being something you can use at the table because of it. So it's just great. It's a great idea. It's so fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah so creative. And it melds uh, so many things we love about this fantasy game, which is imagination, you know, seeing something and yes. getting inspired by it and then, you know, uh, changing it into something else. I mean, it's something that every DM does, you know, to a certain extent by taking... Uh, the materials that's created by you know wizards or the community, and then you, you transform it into something that happens at the table, you know. And it's just that's was the the nugget of what was so interesting about uh, you doing that project with your dad. And I love that it happened during you know COVID and yeah. quarantine yeah. because, dude, we all needed something to <laughs> a connect with people that we love uh, and b like you know have some you know north star to to follow. Uh, for a project like that, uh, you know, such a great heartwarming story. So thanks for doing it. Hey, thank you. Thanks for for bringing it up because it really is uh, something that I 
am so happy exists in the world. So yeah. it's great. Me too. Me too. And all the other stuff, you know, Arcadia, you know, King of Some Warfare. I hope more people jump into to doing it. Uh, I love hearing the stories of of people who are adapting those rules and 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 coming up with new and fun ways to interact with uh, with the with the community. So uh, kudos to you and and to all the team there putting together Arcadia and and those awesome books. Well, thank you, and I I need to thank the two of you. Right, um, I think uh, people don't realize that uh, a lot of the. Uh, success of fifth edition but also sort of the way the community has embraced uh more and more people uh and is uh, constantly growing and becoming diverse like it was not like this uh you know even 10 years ago right i was talking about how few podcasts there were and that sort of thing um it, it has been amazing to see that growth happen over the you know last decade uh and it's cool to see that it's continues to happen every year like year after year um and uh, and i just like that comes a lot from uh this podcast, uh, but also the work the two of you are doing outside of this podcast. And uh, I think that should be recognized um, because uh, it contributes in a great way to this game that we all love, that we all love to play. So thank you for all of the work that you do to uh, to continue to grow the community. It's great. All right. You can be in the book. <laughs> <laughs> I was just gonna say, can we can we take that audio and uh, broadcast it to everyone at Wizards of the Coast? <laughs> That's right, and and you deserve a raise. Yes, uh, so. okay, <laughs> we're we're on it. Yes, thank you, thank you. That is very very nice of you. We appreciate it. We do for we sure because really it is what we love about this, uh, you know, entire hobby and community, right? That we we I don't know if we really thought about this when we were starting it out, but it was all about. Uh, lifting up all of these voices and, and people within this community who didn't get a spotlight, you know, or didn't have any kind of vehicle with which to get a spotlight. And it, this this podcast has become that kind of uh, a rallying cry and stage that people can come onto and tell their stories and and hopefully, you know, uh, show that the the D and D fans are well rounded. Uh, in, yes. in, in many ways, right? We can love theater. We can love TV. We can mm -hmm. love all these other things. We can have outside things that aren't just gaming, but then also we can create things that are are uh, fantastical that we would not have had in other stages of of the D and D community out there because of all the wealth of diversity uh, in uh, you know ages. Uh, you know, even just with your dad, that thing, as yeah. well as uh, you know the the different communities and cultures that have come into into this game. So. Uh, it was almost an accident, but I think it is uh, something that uh, we're really proud of too. So thank you. Yes, absolutely. And you did ask me earlier uh, where I find Arcadia writers. Uh, this podcast has been a wealth <laughs> for that. Oh, so good. thank you. It's been good, a great good. way to discover new people. And I think, oh, I should check them out. Um, so uh, so on a personal note, thanks for helping me with my job. Yeah, Anytime. No yeah. Happy to. That's what we're here for. Everyone else should do that too. That's right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's the point. All right, well, James, how could people follow, uh, you know, your personal products, everything you're doing, everything at MCDM? Uh, what's the best, you know, portal for them to go through the purple worm and get into that stuff? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, so I'm on Twitter at James Intercasso. It's my name. Um, so uh, no spaces uh, and you'll find me there. Um, and as far as uh, MCDM stuff goes, uh, I think if you go to mcdmproductions.com, uh, you will get a link to our store, Patreon, everything else uh, that you're looking for is there. Matt's YouTube, our Twitch channel, all that good stuff. 
So that's the best way to do it. All right. Good stuff. Keep it going. Uh, I love that you're planned out to issue 22. Hopefully you get to uh, 122 uh, (laughs) and and keep pushing it because it's really a a, a bright spot in the community right now. Definitely. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for being here. Come back anytime. We love having you. Love Mr. Introcaso so much. What a wonderful wealth of just positivity and fun and laughter. Great dude. Yes, I agree. James, you're great. Just a great, great, wonderful person. High fives all around. Yep. A plus. Doing good work, making it happen. Um, Check out all the fun ways in which uh, MCDM is is contributing to all the fun stuff on D&D. And, uh, you know, maybe you'll get inspired and, uh, you know, they'll, they'll tap you out there right now listening uh, to work on issue 20,000 <laughs> uh, under the I seat. love the thought of that. Wonderful. Good stuff. Yep. Uh, all right. So uh, we are, of course, Dragon Talk. We have a survey out there. Those of you listening, please uh, if you are interested in helping us out, getting information about what the audience likes, what the audience doesn't like, please take our survey. The show notes in this podcast, in this episode, have a link to where you can take it. It'll take, you know, 10, 20 minutes, but it's super valuable for us. And if you've ever wanted to shout into the void uh, at me and Shelly about ways that we can improve this podcast, here's your chance. Yeah, you get to mold it and shape it just like we do all of the stuff here at Dungeons and Dragons uh, with our uh, playtest feedback and whatnot. But now you get to give playtest feedback on D- Dragon Talk. So make that happen. Anonymously, too. That's right. We yeah. don't have to know you. We're not going to go to your uh, place of business on the internet and ask, why did you say this? Why were you so mean to me? <laughs> and we'll do that in those voices as well. Okay, so maybe we'll do that. Maybe that's a, 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 we might. a, a plus for some people. <laughs> <laughs> Special bonus. Yeah. Uh, uh, but seriously, all those uh, responses are going to be great uh, value to us uh, and wizards in general. So make it so. Mm. Love it. And if you're while you're doing that, spread the word. Let people know uh, about what is happening with the D and D community uh, through the lens of this podcast. Um, leave a review at all, any of those platforms. Always helps us out. Uh, and of course, I want to give a shout out to the folks who help make this happen: uh, Ryan Marth and Lisa Carr from Siren Sound. You Yay. guys are doing great work, uh, and we always appreciate it. Love them. All right, I am at Greg Tito. On Twitter and Greg underscore Tito on Instagram. Shelly, you're at what? Shelly Moo on that's Twitter right. and Instagram. Follow uh, everything that's going on with the Dungeons and Dragons community at Wizards underscore DND on Twitter and Instagram. Like the Facebook page, sign up for the DND newsletter, download Dragon Plus to your phone and get all the fun interviews and previews around all that fun stuff. And now it is time. To return to Drunky Two Shoes. She is in a fight for her she's, life. I have, yeah, she's, uh, she's, yep, she's in it. And her she's brother is fighting. off in the corner being a little dope. He mm. is hiding uh, due to the fog cloud that Shelly, uh, Shelly, no, <laughs> that Drunky Two Shoes cast in a cellar beneath <laughs> the garrulous grocer. Not uh, that Shelly would not also <laughs> if cast you could, a fog club. You would also if I could, yes. trust me, I um, can. Samson, your fighter ally from the Harpers, is also there. He's brandished Thank his God. sword and, and gotten in between the three combative uh, doppelgangers in front of you. 
Um, and I believe it is your turn. Good. Okay. So I turn around to Daryl and I scream, What is wrong with you? And Daryl says, They don't know I'm here. Quiet. Oh, shut up. Uh, I'm drunk. He's very angry. Okay. This is How ridiculous. does she channel her rage? She, uh, acid starts spilling out of her paws and she's like, Oh, God. And like throws it, but throws it at in the direction of the whoever is fighting me. Is there like okay. a couple? Are they clustered? I can get two of them in this acid splash. Yeah, go ahead and, and roll your attack for two of them. Um, they are a bit obscured <sighs> still. Uh, so is it a is that splash a constitution save? I believe it is, right? Dex. Dex. Okay. Well, I'm actually going to give them disadvantage on the dex save. Really? Why? Yeah, because they can't see that you're doing this. Awesome. And they both fail. Yay! Okay. I'm going to say that. Or take, oh, it's not a lot of damage. Oh, it's two D6. Oh, yes, it is. Nine damage. Nine damage for both of them? Yeah. Excellent. All right, so they, uh, so yeah, you you get this anger, acid kind of shove on your hands. You start whipping it at the doppelgangers and they don't see it coming. They're focused on, on uh, trying to parse out where Samson is in front of the fog cloud. And they don't realize that you're spraying them with something that can injure them. Uh, and he gets on their skin and starts to bubble and some steam and even smoke contributes uh, to the fog cloud. And they scream and this like weird alien, uh, kind of sound out of them as they scream in pain. Uh, two of them. Uh, the other one is unharmed uh, currently. Um, but yeah, you do some good damage. Good. And then I'm still screaming at Daryl. Uh, you do hear... Uh, oh yeah, what do you say? Get up here and help us! I'm going to right now! Uh, and he uh, kind of tries to leap off of a crate. Uh, so he gets a little bit of distance and he's about to stab uh, the doppelganger from behind that uh, you had not splashed with acid. Good for him. Pick it up there. Next time, we'll see how well he does. I don't trust him. <laughs> Still, even though you've got the amulet with the owl eyes made of amethyst that can tell whether he's a doppelganger. He doesn't have to be a doppelganger to be with the doppelganger. I just, there's something wrong here. He's, I just, there's something wrong. This is not the Daryl Two Shoes I know. We'll find out.